Welcome to another episode of Frontz Ward's podcast series, Shoveling Smoke. I'm Chris Kaler, your host for today's podcast. Today, we're talking to my partner, Christina Nero, about the recent increase in whistleblower claims under OSHA. Hi, Christina. Hey, Chris. Thanks for joining me once again. We're about ready to hand over the reins to you so you can take the lead on these if you don't mind. No pressure. <laughs> well, today's your last audition, so we'll see how it goes. Excellent. I've interviewed Christina multiple times in the past on employment-related issues. She's a member of our Labor and Employment Group and advises employers in a broad range of employment matters from discrimination, retaliation, wrongful discharge, and harassment claims to cases involving contract disputes and non-competes and other restrictive covenants. But most importantly for today's purposes, she spearheads our firm's OSHA investigation and compliance activities. Christina is OSHA 30 certified, and maybe you could tell us what that is in a minute, and regularly advises employers regarding OSHA compliance and with the preparation and implementation of written safety programs. Hi, Christina, and thanks for being here. Absolutely happy to be here. What's OSHA 30? Yeah, you know, people use the word certified. OSHA really doesn't kind of certify or put their stamp on anything, but if you hear OSHA 10 or OSHA 30, it's a 10-hour or a 30-hour course that, you know, is taught to give you the basics, underlying foundation of what OSHA regulations are. Most of the times it's not specific to construction. It's it's kind of general industry, like I said, baseline. Okay. It seems like OSHA and particularly safety and compliance issues seem to be at the forefront of people's minds lately. Yeah, you and I were talking about this, actually, and I heard the other day on the radio as I was driving in a statistic the number of declared majors at colleges and universities for degrees in safety and compliance has just exploded the last two to three years. It's not anything new for, you know, healthcare or manufacturing or if you're in some other heavily regulated industry. But now it's starting to seep into other industries. Regulations are getting more complex. You know, OSHA took center stage during the pandemic. They've taken steps to ramp up their enforcement efforts under President Biden. They're hiring a bunch of new compliance officers. So OSHA's trying to be on your radar right now. Is that uh, something that ebbs and flows based just on the administration? For instance, if there was a change in the administration in uh, a year and a half, would that change? Yeah. I mean, lawyers know not to guarantee outcomes, of course, but safe bet that things are going to, you know, be very different under a Republican administration. The the rulemaking process takes years under OSHA. So anything that's currently in the works, for example, a lot of people are worried about the heat stress final rule. That's probably going to be halted. It's harder to roll back changes that have been made statutorily, but there's always possibility of Congress even changing statutes under pressure from the executive. So again, depending on how the wind blows and the numbers shake out, not only with the executive of congressional races, safe bet to say we would see some some rolling back of the Biden administration's kind of aggressive enforcement efforts. So that's OSHA generally. What about whistleblower investigations specifically? Why has there been increased activity there? My guess is you've got, again, OSHA, which was front and center during the pandemic. You've got lots of news coverage of whistleblowers, this national dialogue about, you know, whistleblowers who are sharing highly confidential information all the way up to very sensitive military intelligence. So it's kind of on people's minds. Again, very pro-employee executive branch. You've got lots of pro-union activity in the news. So this is kind of the way the pendulum has swung 
And as we know, after doing this for as long as we have, kind of kind of to be expected. What is a whistleblower and how are they protected? Sure. You know, this is for purposes of OSHA whistleblower activities, one of the ways that my labor and employment practice kind of overlaps with safety and compliance. Whistleblowers are, you know, employees who complain about some kind of illegal or unsafe or fraudulent activities within their workplaces. They can do that formally. They can do that informally. They can do that internally within their company. They can also do that externally through OSHA. But uh, a whistleblower is someone who raises those concerns and then is retaliated against for making those complaints. We have retaliation kind of in the traditional employment context for complaining about discrimination and harassment. That's the one that we're kind of most familiar with. But then that parallels to OSHA and the OSHA Act protects whistleblowers from retaliation after they've engaged in these, you know, kind of protected activities by the Act. So is the scheme that OSHA uses similar to the ones that are used for whistleblowers for discrimination or or harassment claims? Uh, Parallels. They're similar, not exactly the same. If you hear me say Section 11, that's the statute under the OSHA Act that protects employees. It's going to be different conduct, though, that constitutes the protected activity. So under Title VII, you've got an anti-retaliation provision that protects employees if they complain about race discrimination, for example. In the OSHA context, under Section 13, employees are protected from retaliation if they, for example, you know, refuse to perform a dangerous task, or they report a workplace injury, or they go ahead and they do file an OSHA complaint. So the protected activity is kind of the difference here, but the response from the administrative agency is very, very similar. Is the scope of what OSHA is doing with respect to whistleblowers any wider or deeper than it might be by an agency investigating an EEOC or discrimination claim? I think that's a question about resources and, again, a a difference in kind of approach politically depending on who's in the executive branch. OSHA does have a dedicated whistleblower team. They investigate not only health and safety retaliation under the OSHA Act, but they've got responsibility for, I think, more than 20 federal laws that also have these other retaliation provisions. So all of those investigators, those compliance officers, those all sit under OSHA. And there are quite a few if we're talking about, you know, the trends here, quite a, an increase in whistleblower complaints that OSHA's been, OSHA's been fielding over the last couple of years. It seems like if there's over 20 federal laws that could be an issue, OSHA has pretty wide berth to come in and investigate whistleblower claims. Yeah, it's their compliance officers who were investigating all of these, you know, different laws, whether it's health and safety or, you know, fraud and the finance context. They certainly do have we'll call it a lean but mean uh, kind of force of uh, investigators. They've got a a wide, I guess, breadth of experience and these various federal laws that, yeah, they can come in and and cause problems in your workplace if they want to. So let's talk nuts and bolts then. What can an employer expect when uh, an OSHA whistleblower claim is made? Sure. So I mentioned, you know, employees can complain externally to OSHA. OSHA will also accept complaints that are made by former employees, as long as those employees were on the payroll, so to speak, when the retaliation took place. But basically, old OSHA's fielding complaints by these employees, 
And they talk to the employees. They normally call to let the employer know that a Section 11C complaint has been lodged. And then they investigate. And they can do that in a couple of different ways. OSHA has a list of inspection priorities, ways in which they kind of triage how they're using their resources. The first kind of priority is, okay, is is there death or serious physical harm? Is there imminent danger, right? Those get the top priority. And employee complaints kind of fall down towards the middle of the list. But those employee complaints can kind of move up the ladder if, for example, that complaint involves a hazard that may result in imminent danger or death or if it's a complaint that relates to a national emphasis or a regional emphasis program. So, you know, fall protection is an example of something that might trigger an on-site inspection. So they can come on site right off the bat if it's serious, or more often, OSHA does what I like to call letter investigations. I think, you know, OSHA might call them like fax investigations, but they basically send a letter saying, here are the allegations, please respond to these within 20 days. And does the disgruntled employee or the whistleblower, maybe I'm showing my bent there, but uh, the whistleblower will, will say, is that person anonymous to the company or do they have to be disclosed? No, that's one of the protections that the OSHA Act affords the employee or former employee. They can submit complaints anonymously when OSHA is talking to them. OSHA will not tell you as the employer the name of the person who's complained to them. You mentioned that OSHA writes the employer a letter setting forth the allegations and asking you to respond. Is that like a position statement to the EEOC? Similar process, but <laughs> you can kind of get away sometimes with being late with the EEOC. You know, the EEOC might take a couple of months to realize that you've blown the deadline. You don't want to ignore a Section 11C letter from OSHA. They'll give you, like I said, normally it's like a 20-day deadline. And if you don't respond in some fashion, whether that's you know, hey, need some extra time, but we're on it, or submitting the actual response, OSHA will take you up that priority letter and they will come on site and do an on-site investigation. And you don't want to ever give OSHA an excuse to come out onto your property. So so important not to lose track when you get those. And why don't you want to give OSHA an excuse? I think I know the answer, but... Yeah, I mean... The difference here between the EEOC, who may get around to issuing a notice of right to sue letter, the difference between that and OSHA coming on site and potentially, you know, issuing a citation on the spot, shutting down part of your business, all of your business, the danger is significantly higher with OSHA than with other administrative agencies. Well, that's a pothole. What other potholes are there? Uh, What else can employers maybe do to either position themselves better to avoid these or limit their exposure? Yeah, you'll hear some familiar refrains from me, more parallels to your traditional employment advice that I give, but it it applies equally. The first thing that OSHA is going to ask you for is show me your written policy. If you've heard me talk before, you've heard me say, if it's not in writing, OSHA doesn't believe it ever happened. So, you know, dust off your policies, make sure you not only have an anti-retaliation policy and a reporting structure applying to discrimination, but you've got either the same one or a separate one that specifically relates to safety concerns. They are separate issues. It would be fine to have separate reporting processes, but you want to make sure that that's in writing. Your employees know about it. They have a sign-off acknowledging that they've seen that. And the second thing... Let me, before we get to the second thing, I assume your advice would be not to just have a policy, but to follow it and follow it consistently. Exactly. 
Yeah. And if you want to take advantage of certain defenses, if and when OSHA does cite you, OSHA will expect that you, like you said, not only have the policy, but enforce it and that you have documented your enforcement efforts, which is my second point was going to be make sure that you're documenting. You need a valid non-retaliatory reason in the employment context. You need a valid non-retaliatory reason for taking actions against employees in the OSHA context. And the better you document the fact that it had nothing to do with an employee complaining about a safety issue, the stronger your defenses are going to be with OSHA. So do people often get in trouble because they either ignore these or let them sit? Yeah, and that can be twofold. You're not only ignoring it internally for purposes of addressing the issue and making sure it doesn't happen again and ignoring OSHA if and when they've made a request, you know, for information. You know, those can escalate if you don't take internal complaints seriously. People feel, this is, again, same in the context of discrimination or harassment complaints. If employees don't feel like they're being heard or the company is addressing those issues, they're more motivated to take those concerns outside of the organization, whether that's to an attorney or whether that's picking up the phone and calling OSHA. So bottom line, don't give people an excuse to become a whistleblower. Exactly right. Nip that in the bud. Yep. Does OSHA give you any guidance as to, I don't know, best practices or how you might address these? Sure. They have their own, you know, anti-retaliation program. I don't know, elements they call them. But basically, your goal is for your employees to know what your policy is, to know how to raise concerns without fear of retaliation. Your managers should know how to handle those concerns, how to document those concerns, how to run those up the ladder. And then you've got to have, like you said, compliance with those policies and, and monitoring those policies, auditing those policies, doing retraining on those policies. Christina, is there any way for an employer to kind of blindly or anonymously call OSHA and get an opinion or get some information once there's been a whistleblower complaint made? So OSHA allows you to file a FOIA request, a Freedom of Information Act request. You have to be a party to the investigation, but you can ask OSHA for non-confidential information. That's a process that normally takes a while. You're not going to get an instantaneous result when you're in the heat of an investigation, but for purposes of, you know, subsequent litigation, if you're contesting a citation, that's something that a tool you can use to get information from OSHA if you want. Now, in responding to an OSHA complaint, at what point do you like to be involved in the process? I assume different clients have gotten you involved at different stages. What's I think I probably know what's best, but can you help at any stage? Any stage, earlier the better. I've certainly been brought in at the very end and, you know, we defend, we, you know, counsel, we can do that at any stage, but obviously the earlier the better. I am often brought in right after the employee injury happens. If there is a reportable, in other words, a fatality or, you know, a more serious injury that requires reporting within 24 or 8 hours for the more serious ones, that's normally when I get my first call. Those are going to be your catastrophic injuries, your injuries that can potentially uh, evolve into VSSR or intentional tort claims. And why it's important for counsel to get involved at that point is that that documentation and those investigation, you know, steps, those witness statements, all of that information not only applies to the OSHA investigation phase and whether or not you're going to get cited by OSHA, but all of that documentation carries through 
to VSSR intentional tort litigation. It can also apply, frankly, to, you know, any employment litigation that follows based on the discipline that's issued or, or the actions that are taken against an, an employee. And, and HR and EHS kind of functions, human resources and environmental health and safety, those functions can sometimes be siloed in organizations and kind of run at cross-purposes, but a company is best situated defense-wise to employment claims and OSHA claims if those two functions work together and work collaboratively. Again, you're not going to be able to take advantage of OSHA defenses if you don't have a disciplinary component, and you want to have your HR function involved in that disciplinary component. So if you get contacted by HR, you'll you know get a hold of their your clients' EHS people and vice versa? My preference is to have both involved, yeah. Is there a general timeline for this process when an OSHA whistleblower complaint is made or is it entirely fact-dependent? So an employee, and this is one of the positives, has 30 days, only 30 days to file a whistleblower complaint. So that's a pretty short time frame. But again, with these more serious injuries, catastrophic injuries, that's plenty of time for OSHA to get out, start an investigation if it's going to happen, it's going to be within that first 30 days. Well, you've scared me, and hopefully, <laughs> and hopefully you haven't scared away too many employers. I always ask our guests at the end to highlight two or three key points for people to take away. What do you have here? Yeah, I guess I would just reiterate, dust off your policies. Make sure that they're still relevant. Make sure that when your policy says that your first point of contact after a workplace injury is human resources, make sure you still have a human resources person, right? Make sure that the policy is still accurate and that your reporting functions are, are still working. Make sure you've got somebody, your OSHA contact person, your front desk receptionist, somebody who knows what to do when that letter comes in from OSHA, how to run that up the flagpole so that those letters don't get missed. And then again, document, document, document. Well, thank you, Christina. You always teach me something about employment law, so I don't have to learn it myself. Yeah, and the goal is not to scare you, it's to prepare you, right? Okay, well, I'm, I'm prepared. I'm good. That wraps up another episode of Shoveling Smoke. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you listen in next time. Shoveling Smoke is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Our producer and audio engineer is Sean Rule Hoffman. Thanks for listening.